SEO podcast where we climb the SEO mountain to greater heights than a soup up sassy shirt but on steroids. Now that's alliteration. Today we have the one, the only Zach Benningfield of CallRail who joins us to talk all things automation inside of Google Ads. What should you automate in your Google Ads campaigns? What should it you? What automation works best for what? And where is the future of Google Ads automation heading? I am your host, Morty Oberstein, and I am not joined by the spryly spry, the gregariously gregarious Kim Ragones, because I suspect there's a little bundle of joy heading our way, and I will keep you updated. So it's been weird. We have not done the podcast in two weeks. It's weird because it's part of my routine. See, first I get really excited about what am I going to talk about? Then I get freaked out. What am I going to talk about? Then I get lost in all sorts of wild ideas of what I should talk about. Then I check myself, discard all those wild ideas, and what you end up with is the next 40 minutes or so. So I'm so glad we're back together. Thank you for joining me again. And do not forget, aside for last week, that we put out a new episode of the In Search SEO podcast each and every Tuesday. You can find it on SoundCloud. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Stitcher. Of course, you can find it on the Rank Ranger blog. And you can subscribe on iTunes. Okay, so before we move on, um, before we, we we have a great show today, we have Zach Benningfield, a car out to walk us through the ever-complex web of automation that's evolving within the Google Ads platform. But before we bungee jump off the cliff that is ads automation, I want to talk to you about the future SEO impact of featured snippets. So I'm going to toot my own horn here because I have to as a marketer, but I did write an article for Search Engine Land that got published about, I don't think, a week ago, two weeks ago from the time of this recording. Time is all relative for me. Um, and it was all about the future impact of feature snippets. The idea was that feature snippets may not be as big of a win as you think they are going forward. And I'm not going to repeat what I wrote there. Check it out. Um, it, it was very honored, humbled, and uh, proud to have been uh, p- featured there, published there. Rather, here on this podcast, I'm going to use the power of my mic to clarify a few things. Because let me just recap a bit. In a nutshell, my thinking is that Google has already shown us that they want to directly answer the user's query to an extent within the feature snippet, as crazy as that sounds. But to prove my point, you have all sorts of formats that range from using headers in the snippets to serve as direct answers. You have complete lists that leave the user satisfied without needing to click on the URL. In other words, you you say you know that um, you search for uh, places to go visit that are awesome. You get a list, a bulleted list or a numbered list, and there's nothing there that seems to indicate that the list is incomplete. So the user thinks, okay, I have my list. I don't need to click. Okay, at the same time, Google is, of course, getting better at targeting what a user wants through its machine learning methods. It has greater um, ability or, or or refined ability to index. The the best example I can, I can think of are fraggles, the indexing of small snippets. Okay, for all of these reasons, I can only conclude that as time goes on, Google will get better and more creative with answering a user's query directly with its feature snippet content. In other words, I think that the feature snippet content you're going to see is going to become slimmer and slimmer, or to use the George W. Bush Google, uh, Google, the George W. Bush Dictionary of English, the slimification of the featured snippet is upon us. So what I want to clarify exactly. So I'm not saying, by the way, please don't take my words out of context. I am not saying that feature snippets are not a significant win. I am merely pointing out that there is a trend, and I am taking this trend to its logical conclusion. Okay, Less folks will click on the URL inside the feature snippet as time goes on. However, anything that appears at the top of the SERP will get clicks. Thus, featured snippets are, and to paraphrase Spock from Star Trek, and if... Kim were here, she would say, oh, no, not again. Stop quoting Star Trek. I'm on a Star Trek role. I think with Star Trek Discovery kind of kicked me off. 
if you watch if season one was yeah season two is pretty good anyway uh, to quote Spock featured snippets have and always shall be your friend okay in other words there are all sorts of users some despite the nature of the snippet as I see it going forward are more likely to click than others okay all all this depends on the nature of the user it all depends on the nature of the snippet okay but snippets I think are going to get less clicks but of course anything that shows at the top of the SERP of the URL is going to get a lot of clicks so let me let me let me elaborate a little bit I'm going to take an, an example I used on the article. So let's say you do a search for fish with the most mercury, and you get a whole list of fish, a bulleted list of, of fish that have a lot of mercury in it. Now, here, at least when I did the search, I know you might do the search, you might not get this. When I did the search, and there's a screenshot of it on the Search Engine Land article, um, I, got, I got a list, an absolute list. It was a complete list, meaning... Google usually has a little link at the bottom of its feature snippet for list that says more items. So you'll see, you know, fish with the most mercury, I don't know, tuna fish, shark, bluefish, whatever it is, and you'll have a little link that says more items. I have no idea, by the way, if those fish actually have mercury in them or not. I know tuna fish does. Um, shark, I have no idea. I've never had shark, as hard as it might be to believe. Um, anyway, so there's usually a, a link that says more items. In this case, there wasn't. So in other words, if I... I'm an unsuspecting user, and I'm just, I just want to know what are like the 10 most um, mercury-laden fish that exist. Well, Google gives me this list. I don't see anything showing me that there's any more to the list, so I may not need to click. Of course, if there's a more items link there, well, that would mean I need to click to see the full list if I really want to know the information that I am looking for. But if no such link exists and I just see a whole list of 10 fish that have tons of mercury in them, well, these must be the 10 most mercury-laden fish that exist, so I need not click. Okay? Thus, the evolving formats of snippets preclude clicks to an extent, obviously. It all depends on the user. Okay? I, I, I Maz just put out a study showing that younger users tend to click less on feature snippets, which is exactly my point. Okay? It all depends on the user. It all depends on the type of the query. But what I'm showing you is that the, the evolution of format is going along the way of our younger users that don't tend to click on things. They just want to see things directly. If Moz knows this, Google also knows this. So it's going to cater to that demographic with its feature snippet content. It all makes good sense. In other words, um, in, in this case, a user who simply wants to know some of the fish with high levels of mercury won't, quick, won't, 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 quick, won't click all things being equal. They will be quick not to click. That's a rhyme. Uh, they know, right? They know the fish that have mercury, and there's no indication of any other information being necessary here. Okay? Does that mean, by the way, and this is my point, does that mean that somebody who wants to get a little bit deeper into the topic won't click? No, you're still going to get clicks. Feature snippets are still going to be wins. Even in this case where you have an absolute list with a no more items link. Okay, you're still going to get clicks because your only user being satisfied here is a surface-level user who just wants to see uh, a list of fish with mercury in them. Okay, but anyone who wants to go deeper is going to, to – if they want to see the full scoop on mercury and fish, you're going to have to click. That sounds like a Dr. Seuss rhyme to me, but it's not. Okay? As Izzy Smith pointed out so well on Twitter, and I will link to that there. Um, as it stands now, okay, users more interested in surface information will tend not to click with the evolving formats that we're seeing. And I 100% agree with that, meaning users who are interested in a little bit more information, more in-depth information, are still going to need to click. 
So I am not saying that it's an absolute, that these feeder snippet formats are evolving and the feeder snippets are going to be a loss, not in a win, whatever you want to call it, however you want to categorize it, no, okay? Top of the UR, top of the URL placement is always a win, um, a big win, okay? What I'm saying, though, is, okay, is that featured snippets as time goes on, for those users looking for top-level information, they're not going to click as often as Google keeps offering more and more refined snippets, uh, more um, titles or headers in the feature snippets that directly answer the user's query. Okay? In other words, feature snippet URLs are less click-worthy to certain user demographics. Okay, enough of that. Should we get to our interview with Zach? Yes, we should. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Zach Bettingfield of Corel and all things Google Ads Automation. Cut one. Time for another deep dive into the world of SEO, in this case, search engine marketing. As the In Search podcast welcomes Corel's own search engine marketing manager. That's a lot of marketing in one sentence. Um, the great Zach Bedingfield. Welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, happy to be here. Happy it's to have you. my first podcast, so I'm super excited. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, nice. I'm not going to haze you or anything like that. Don't worry. I appreciate <laughs> that. You don't seem the type. Well, it's, it's hard to do over the, over the internet anyway. What would I do to you exactly? <laughs> I mean, kids are figuring out these days all the time on how to haze up people over the internet. But That's true. That's pretty terrible, actually. Um, I appreciate that. No, no, my pleasure. I want you to come back again. I don't want you to feel unwelcomed. Let me, let's start off a little bit light. So I, I saw that you're a big VR person. and um, I do enjoy VR. So I'm somebody who hasn't played a video game in like 15 years. What do you recommend I do with VR? So... It's going to depend on what your interests are because you could do some intro games that are like shooting and things of that sort, or you could do something that's like a social space in which you just interact with other people, maybe play paintball with all these other cartoony figures. That's cool. Or you could do something, maybe if you're into art, I know Oculus uh, Medium, I think it's called Medium, um, will allow you to sculpt things. And it's actually been used by like some professional sculpt, like 3D animators slash sculptors. Um, and then there are also just some art programs that you can mess around with as well. That actually but sounds I think pretty just cool. being in the space to start is pretty cool. Yeah, okay. So I, I, I'm dying to try something. I just like, I'm not a video game guy, so I don't know what to do. All right. So yeah, there's, a, uh, there's a spot here in Atlanta that's a VR bar. So you actually go and similar to like a Top Golf, there are individual bays that you would pay like on a 30 minute to an hour basis. And then you can go and get your drinks and just hang out with some people and play some of these virtual reality games. That's pretty um, cool. I think they're becoming more popular. But if one pops up in your area, I recommend trying it out. I will definitely try it out then. Thank you for the recommendation. Oh, it's my pleasure. Cool. All right. So um, let's get into search engine marketing a bit and um, talk as ad bidding, ad automation, all that kind of cool stuff. Um, so start us off here in the summer of 2018. So Google added a ton of automated um, options, okay, within Google Ads. So now, if you could just do us a favor and catch us up a bit for those who are not really familiar with it, what did Google do? What did Google change? And where do we stand with all things automated in Google Ads? For sure. Um, yeah, I'd say that they they added a couple things and then they continued to iterate on existing automation tech and make it better. So one of the big things that they added were response. Responsive search ads is what I believe they're called. Um, they're still in their beta now, but essentially what it allows Google to do is it'll take all the a bunch of different headlines that you write, a bunch of different description lines, 
and they don't have it set up now that you can like set individual calls to action or different landing pages, but I only expect that to be a thing in the future. But this allows them to continue to iterate new ad copy and test new ad variations without you having to write a bunch of new ads all the time. So I think that that's a big win. Um, a lot of us in the industry now don't necessarily see these outperforming um, some of our older ads, which is actually a little bit surprising. But I only expect that to get better over time. Um, the other big thing is that I think a lot of us are starting to get on the uh, automation bidding bandwagon. So the automated bidding strategies have existed within Google for a long time, including things like enhanced CPC and target CPA. Um, and for a long time, professionals have been have said that I'm not really going to trust Google to do this. Um, bidding has always been a really big part of what we're doing on our day to day. So setting individual bids and setting bid adjustments based off locations or demographic uh, demographic information. But the, these strategies have gotten way, way better. So Target CPA, for instance, um, I was at a conference in Dallas maybe six months ago, and someone had been constantly testing throughout all their accounts. And this is somebody at an agency, so they're running bunches and bunches of uh, accounts. And they're testing Target CPA, and they're actually starting to see it win. So uh, I think that what we saw is them continue to iterate on existing things and add a few new ones. Um, and they've finally gotten to the point where I think I can advocate for at least everybody to start testing a lot of these things. Um, and I think you're going to see that the tech is smart enough that it's going to win some of the time. So, yeah, it's really, really, really interesting stuff. I mean, first off, the response, I'm actually surprised. One of the, so I'm not a PPC guy. I'm just, I'll admit it, okay? I can, I can handle the, uh, the criticism. But one of the things I do follow are the uh, responsive other responsive ads, and I'm actually really surprised to hear that they're they're not outperforming because that was that was really the kind of the whole point. To harp on your point about the 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 automated bidding, so let me let me ask you, okay? So, so you mentioned, for example, target CPA, and to me that seems to make a whole lot of sense because the entire point is to generate as many conversions as you possibly can. And at the same time, there's things like maximizing for clicks, and to me that seems like a risky venture, right? So, how exactly, or what situation? Does that make sense? Or what environment does that make sense? Or are things like um, impressions, right? That seems to be a, a vanity metric. Where does automated bidding work? Um, where does it not work? For what things does it work? And for what situations does it work? Depending upon the the type of automated bidding that you're setting up. Again, um, target CPA versus something like uh, automated clicks. Right. Um, it's going to depend on the vertical that you're in a lot of the time. Um, I think typically if you do you have a bunch of conversion events set up? Target CPA can start to be a little bit tricky. So essentially, you're only allowed to set a flat target cost per action or cost per acquisition per campaign. So say you've got five or six different conversion actions and you know that they all convert profitably at different levels. So maybe I know that a new customer is worth $500. See, it could be a target CPA for a new customer at 500 would be profitable. But at the same time, I know that I don't want to get generate calls at $500 a pop. I would much rather generate calls at $20 a pop, which I know ultimately at the conversion rate that we convert calls at will turn into about $500. So when you're in a situation like that with all these multiple conversion events, it can get a little bit complicated when it comes to target CPA. But you, a lot of the time you can end up taking like a lower average and then just using that for your account. Um, again, this is going to be, I think 2019 for the most part will be a lot of people continuing to test and then seeing that these algorithms are going to win. Google has so much data and they have so many different touch points where they're able to, I don't know, just extrapolate information and subsequently make their algorithm even better. Um, that, yeah, I think we're going to see this, start to see it win. 
Um, but target CPA is a great, of, of the bidding strategies, I think it's a really good one. Um, enhanced CPC is like a, used to, again, kind of be a thorn in the side for a lot of PPC people, but um, that's going to just allow individual auctions to, or allow Google to bid up or down in individual auctions when it thinks that conversions are more likely to take place. So I still run enhanced CPC on a lot of campaigns, but I think the days of manual bidding are pretty much over. Um, something like maximize clicks, again, it's kind of worth testing. Um, if, you tar if you're targeting high intent, low funnel terms, and someone is running maximize clicks, I mean, theoretically, it should be generating, it should be beneficial in a lot of ways. Um, what I'd advocate for is continuing to test all these different strategies and uh, yeah, so build out, build out like an experiment or a draft and then subsequently an experiment in Google Ads um, and run it with for maybe two months with 25%, 50% of your traffic going to one of the other bidding strategies and monitor it and see which one wins um, and constantly test and be iterative with the, with, yeah, the things that you're testing and um, I think you'll start to see some wins. Yeah, that makes that makes a whole lot of sense. I'm, you really think that the days of manual bidding are gone? It's over, at at, at every level. I think so. I mean, for the most part, like I mean, I'm not bidding on mass scale with something like a Kinshu or Marin. Um, I'm really I'm just running the CallRail account right now. But I mean, for the longest time, people are step. I mean, big agencies are using Kinshu and Marin to kind of automate bidding and bid at mass scale. Um, so I think looking at individual keywords and doing it in that sense is probably gone. And I don't think any of us can argue and say that we are gonna. We're maybe we're smarter than some of the robots right now, but come on, the, the <laughs> robots are definitely going to be smarter than us eventually. Like in so, every movie. Yeah, we just gotta accept it at some point and uh, move forward. Right. Um, let me let me jump down to, to local for a minute. I do want to talk about the uh, the complexity that you mentioned about um, automated bidding and so forth, but I'll, I'll come back to it. Um, so Google has something that it calls smart campaigns, where it automatically select the landing page tied to the ad. Um, is that still in beta? Did that come out of beta? I know this is back in the in the summer, I believe, right? Right. Um, it has come out. Um, smart campaigns are essentially the new iteration of what was AdWords Express. Okay. Um, for anybody who was unfamiliar with AdWords Express, that was kind of like the the AdWords Lite version for anyone who didn't want to get into the complexity of like a true AdWords account. Google's historically always had a really hard time getting into the SMB space where people aren't spending that much money and don't want to deal with the complexity of running their own account. So that was their AdWords Express play, um, but it always did really poorly. Um, smart campaigns are their new iteration on AdWords Express, and from what I've seen, it doesn't it doesn't seem to improve as much as I think it should. Um, admittedly, I haven't been I haven't really delved into any of those campaigns because I'm running a full campaign all the time, but um, Conceptually, it makes sense. Let's get this kind of advertising in front of people where they're willing to spend $500 a month, which is never going to be a good idea for them to go with an agency. And let's not even make it so in some instances, yes, they're using a landing page. But I think ultimately Google's fine with letting them just stay on the SERP. Um, I know that this is an issue for SEO as well, where like knowledge cards, for instance, are not getting people to pages as often. You might optimize your content but then they're just living on the cert because all their answers are already available. It's, it's a sticky but I know point. If, right. Yeah. But if they could just have people go to the, or get all the information necessary from the GMB listing, um, Google is still winning as they're serving the core customer base, which is just searchers. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, smart campaigns, I, I think are going to fit the niche that they're trying to fit. 
But um, if it's anything like AdWords Express, it's still going to be a little bit odd. Mm. But I get where Google's coming from. They're going to continue to iterate until they can finally penetrate into that space a little bit better because running a full-blown AdWords campaign at for $250 a month is never going to be too pleasant. Right, and it seems to make sense for the advertisers also. I'm assuming that they're not as large scale, not as enterprise, um, and for the most part. Uh, I, I would imagine that the, the newness of the of the product is probably behind uh, what's the, what you're seeing as not being this great big success or not being as successful as you might think it would be. On, on the search side, we see that all the time. Like um, they introduced a video carousel, I'm trying to think back, maybe over the summer on desktop, and it was a mess. Like It was showing up for all sorts of crazy keywords, e-commerce keywords that made no sense. It still does for... A bit. It's gotten much better. I would imagine the same thing would happen with, with um, the the um, the smart campaigns. Since since we're talking about local as it is, um, what do you what do you think? What special considerations do you think local advertisers have when it comes to automation in general? What do they have to consider? Hmm. When it comes, to, I mean, they're what they have to consider is going to be pretty similar to anybody who's dealing on a national or even international scale running things like responsive search ads, running things like automated bidding are still going to be their plays when it comes to improving account performance based off the algos that Google's developed. What they're going to end up doing is just having a lot more campaigns and a lot more, a lot tinier campaigns when they're running individual areas with, uh, with location-based keywords and things like that. Um, and it's actually, I think, in a lot of times going to be, their algorithms are going to be beneficial for these local people because they're going to have a lot more local signals. Um, for my campaigns, for example, I'm running internationally to try to sell um, call tracking analytics like attribution software. And the types of local signals that I see are almost non-existent all the time. Um, I might see better performance in one city over the other um, or in one state over the other. Um, but a lot of the time that's just indicative of the kinds of businesses that are located in that area. Um, I think if we're dealing with a local, a local area, you might see some demographic trends. You might see some household income trends, um, in which case, if you have all of these set as observation audiences in any of your campaigns, the algorithm will take those that performance into account and then adjust bids accordingly. So things like maybe the time of day, like the afternoon in one part of your city is really bad for one reason. Maybe traffic's really bad, so the search volume is typically down. Um, that might not be something that you're able to witness as readily if you're just looking at the account. But the algorithm is long, will be able to take a look at those audiences and those time of day bid adjustments and make the necessary uh, make the necessary adjustments that you might not be able to make otherwise. Yeah. So okay, I, 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 all this keeps building up to the complexity question that I keep wanting to ask, but I'm, I'm going to hold off because I still I'm, I'm building up to it. I'm building up to it slowly. Um, I'm such a big journalist. I have a whole build up to this. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds good on paper, though. All right. So. Where do you think things are heading with automation um, in the PPC world? Are we going to see more automated options come up to help you build ad copy itself? Are we, ta are we talking about um, automation to help you avoid hitting on certain keywords that you don't really want to hit on, that sort of thing? Wh where are we going? Yeah, I think it's going to continue to move towards automation. Um, like I said, I'm a big believer in, I mean, coming from a guy who frequents a VR bar, like <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big advocate of uh, I'm trusting technology a lot of time. Um, as an advertiser, like I, I trust ads in a lot of ways where the intention is to serve up the best ad that matches the user's interest. And um, I think that automation can only help us do that better. 
So I think that the responsive search ads will get better. Um, I mentioned earlier that right now they allow you to put in a bunch of headlines and a bunch of description lines, but they don't allow you to break out calls to action, for instance, and they don't allow you to break out um, different URLs. But to think that in the future, you could just put in all the potential landing pages for one ad, a bunch of different calls to action for said ad as well. There's only, there's, there's going to continue to be new ways to improve on these things. Um, so yeah, I think that automation will continue to grow. And with that comes like a level of complexity, but at the same time, a level of simplicity. Once like someone is able to fully understand these algorithms and the way that they, uh, or the way to implement like target CPA bid strategies, for instance, it, like it becomes relatively simple. But um, yeah, I think it'll continue to get more, uh, automation will continue to increase rather. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that you're positive on tech automation. You're not one of these, uh, Skynet's going to take over the world and kill us all kind of thing with Google ad BPC automation. I mean, if Skynet took over, at least it would be like, I mean, a cool movie for us to be part of, right? And like, it, it would do it efficiently and, and automatedly. If that's a real word. <laughs> okay. Right. So we get to all wear sweet trench coats. Right. And, and we can drive around on motorcycles and shoot things. Because it, it, it all makes that sense. That sounds pretty sweet. Yeah, I'm a machine. <laughs> you know they're making another one, right? It, it, no, it was and, not aware. Yeah, yeah, Ar Arnold's good to be in it again. It's like amazing. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. I, I, I'd pay a million dollars if I had it for original story out of Hollywood. Anyway, okay, so I'm glad you're happy about, about tech automation because I want to ask you, instead of asking what doesn't work with automation, what does work? Like things, for example, like ad targeting, I would think are much better done automated via automation than they are manually doesn't make any sense what works with automation really really well these days for sure um i'd say interestingly i think ad targeting works worse with automation oh really nah, um, it's nuts. still <laughs> i mean and i think that that's good for us as digital marketers um because it's really the human element that allows us to suss out intent and i think eventually the computers and the robots so to speak will be able to suss out intent a little bit better. Um, but as it stands now, ad targeting is one of the things that I think humans continue to do better. Um, for example, here at CallRail, we're again, we're like trying to sell call tracking software for marketing purposes so that you can track and see the different sources. Um, I should have done that earlier. I should have said, what does CallRail do? My mistake. Oh, no, and it's not a big deal. Uh, but there ends up being a, uh, a fine line where you can easily run into people who are looking to track like their spouse like a call track my my calls on my spouse's phone and things of that sort so walking that fine line i'll find, often run into google's recommendations or bing's recommendations will say hey target this sect of keywords when i know that that sect of keywords ends up really being people who don't know what they're looking for when they're trying to figure out if their spouse is like cheating on them for instance so <laughs> so that's the so that's that uh, intent piece. Um, I think bidding is done really, really well. Um, it's only continuing to do better. Um, I'm currently running target CPA tests in multiple campaigns. Um, I think despite the fact that some of my RSA ads, the responsive search ads, aren't outperforming over like legacy expanded text ads, isn't indicative that they're not gonna win in the long run. Um, I think that it just means that they haven't won at the moment. So I think, that as a tool is going to be really powerful. Um, and yeah, I, everybody should be running them at least as a test at this point. Um, automation wise, some scripts are super duper valuable. Um, you mentioned preventing 
people from seeing specific query or excuse me, showing up for bad searches. Right. Um, so like with negative keywords, for instance, mm -hmm. um, there are currently scripts that will auto crawl your account and then pull out negatives based off historical lack of conversions and things of that sort or historical low click through rates, et cetera. Um, I imagine that in the future, that'll be a built in tool that um, you can just turn on within Google ads. Excuse me. They do flag keywords at this point and you can manually add these uh, what are potentially good negative keywords to your account that way But I figure it'll be more integrated in the future but Yeah, I'd say most things do work, but still I think if there's a necessary human element to suss out intent um, Yeah, when it comes to actual queries Cool, okay, so, so now I'm at the point now where where I can now ask the complexity question okay, So I used to I, I used to follow um, the, the SEM world much closer and the digital marketing, I mean, the digital advertising world much closer than I, than I do now, only because it's gotten much more complex than it has in the past. And that complexity, does it prevent people from getting into the industry? What would you, you know, let's put it this way. What would you recommend to a newbie coming into digital marketing, digital advertising, trying to get into this and seeing this whole complex you know, interweaving of automation? Right. Um, I think I would always recommend to focus on the data science piece of it. Um, I think as, I mean, as someone in SEO and as someone in PPC for a while now, I find myself, and I think most people, once they get into the industry for a while, find themselves more in spreadsheets and looking at lots of data figures and then subsequently trying to figure out trends and then implement strategies in their accounts that are based off data. Um, I think as the automation increases, as the complexity increases, which again, I don't think is a bad thing, um, we're going to end up looking at larger swaths of data and making informed decisions based off that. Um, I think, again, the human element and the human intent uh, is still going to be super relevant for a long time. But the algorithms and the automation component is just going to take our time away from things where computers are going to be able to outperform us. So, yeah, again, I'd just say focus on the data science piece, um, learn how to look at data and extrapolate information, essentially become a smart computer yourself <laughs> so you can continue to uh, uh, improve and perform. Okay, so so with that nice piece of advice to someone trying to get into the, the industry, I always end off with this. I'm gonna try to you know put it into a little bit of a corner. Um, I call it optimize it or disavow it. I'm gonna give you two options. You have to choose of one of these options. You have to uh, you know throw away a really good option or uh, if I, if I give you two great options, you have to you know, throw away a great option. If I give you two terrible options, you have to choose the better of the two terrible options. And I call it optimize it and disavow it. And this is your version of optimize it or disavow it. Okay. All so, right. I'm you're ready. I'm ready for it. Okay, here it comes. It's, it's, it's momentous. If you can do one, and you, you can only do one, and you can't, obviously, it's zero sum, okay? You can optimize your ad copy, or you can create an effective bidding strategy, which is more important. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, I know that's an intense one. Yeah, uh, now, do, I mean, do one a minute. Things like I, can, I mean, can I presume that I already have a bidding strategy in place, but it, maybe it's not optimized? No, 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 no. Same thing for ad copy. All right, fine. You have like a really bad bidding strategy, like terrible. I might, I mean, if the ads are really bad, they you're are. just going to be wasting a lot of money. All right, so I might go with ads. So this would, and the logic is such, if your ads are so bad that your click-through rates could potentially be somewhere like 16%, 20%, and you're sitting at 
0.5% or 1%, you're essentially just wasting money serving ads to people. It would depend on the way you're serving ads. But um, yeah, you're just kind of just wasting money. I mean, the same thing could be said for bidding strategy, right. but I'm saying, hey, the bidding strategy almost doesn't matter if we don't get people coming to the site so we can evaluate the quality of the traffic and then subsequently go back to it. But obviously that's a... Uh, that's a terrible question. But of course, I'm, terrible. I'm unable to make a good decision. No, no, no. But, but that part we're editing out. But that's it. We don't, you don't get the qualify or cap, bit of caveat at the end. That's it. It is what it is. <laughs> and as a content person, I'm quite happy you chose the ad copy, not the bidding strategy. Well, I'm glad. Well, all right. Thank you very much, Zach. I do appreciate you coming in. Don't. I will. I will plug Callrail before before you. I before oh, like, the yeah, opening segment. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I apologize. My mistake. Oh, you're fine. I don't okay. want to come off like a shill. <laughs> no worries. The the least of your problems. And yeah, again, yeah, yeah. thanks for the VR well, thank you tip. Thank sure. my pleasure. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we're back to your regularly scheduled In Search SEO podcast. It is getting crazy out there in the world of SEM. It's a ton to keep up with. I can just tell you from personal experience, and I will freely admit this because I can admit my shortcomings. I'm that kind of person. Uh, When you have so many of them, it becomes easier. It's getting harder to keep up both with SEO and SEM with all the changes and with all the rapid pace of those changes, particularly when it comes to Google Ads automation because it is complex. Um, Which brings us directly to our SEO tip share. And I really miss Kim right now because my voice is running out of steam. All right. So since we talked about Google Ads automation and what you should worry about, what you shouldn't worry about, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, and all those good things that you just listened to, hopefully... We would like you, I would like you to please help us out, to please share your expertise with the wider SEO community when it comes to Google Ads automation by helping us understand what marketers should be careful of when using automation within Google Ads. Because a lot of good stuff out there, a lot of good options, but what should you be careful of? Help us out, help the industry out, share your information, and of course, we will try to feature what you said online here on the InSearch SEO podcast. You, by the way, of course, will will post a uh, something on Twitter with the tip share of the week where you'll see the question, what should marketers be careful of when using automation within Google Ads? It'll be on the in the blog post that harbors this podcast. There's plenty of opportunities to find this and comment on this, and please do share. Now, last time, two, three weeks ago, we had our last podcast. Um, we asked what you should consider before implementing Google Posts, and my goodness, you guys came back with a fury of responses. There was, I don't know, I, you know, when I when I come up with these SEO tip shares of the week, I, I sometimes feel like this is going to be a great one. Tons of information going to come flying at me and sometimes, eh, you, you got some good, a couple of good pieces of, of, of information coming at you. For whatever reason, when we asked what you should consider before implementing Google Post two, three weeks ago, there was a fury of responses coming back. So many good ideas, so many tips. I could literally spend a whole episode on what you guys said. So thank you very much. I really do appreciate it. I'm going to try my best now to quickly run through some of the some of the tips and some of the pieces of advice that you guys shared around Google Posts. Uh, let's start off with Andy Simpson. Andy Simpson, that's at N-D-Y-J-S-I-M-P-S-O-N on Twitter. And Andy said, don't forget, you can use emojis in your post, which I totally did not realize you could do. So thank you, Andy, for that one. I'm Claire Carlisle. That's at Claire Carlisle at C-L-A-I-R-E-C-A-R-L-I-L-E on Twitter. Said, Well, she said a ton. 
I don't have I don't have anyone nearly as time to cover everything as she wrote. We will link to the Twitter thread. You can find it. It'll link to it in the blog post that harbors this podcast, and you can find it in there. And you should definitely read everything she wrote. But she said this in a nutshell: use keywords in post, as post snippets can be pulled into three packs and other local SERP features, okay? Uh, by the way, a few people pointed out a slide presentation from Greg Gifford, which we'll link to as well, all about image sizes and the cropping of images within Google Posts, some things you might not have expected to occur do occur, so definitely check that out. And again, we will look at that as well. Um, by the way, also I will link to um, the thread on Twitter from Digital Bull Leads. They had a nice little graphic about some of the things you should know about Google Posts, and I'll, I'll link to that as well. Again, that's at Digital Bull Lead on Twitter. Twitter. So thank you very much, everybody, for, for chiming in. A lot of great information. I could, I really want to do a whole episode on Google Posts. I find it so interesting, and there's a lot of changes coming, I think, down the line for the local, local SERP features, and we've talked about it a couple of times on this podcast, but there is much more to talk about. Anyway, again, where I miss Kim, it's time for the news. So I am going to hit it with the news. <laughs> I do really miss Kim. Kim, wherever you are, please come back. I, I can't. I, I'm not that good at reading this. I'm just not. Okay, I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm not a good script person. Here we go. First story. Reports show that Google My Business accounts that were suspended and reinstated are not showing with their previous reviews. Uh-oh. Meaning those reviews are lost. Don't get suspended. This is a bug, by the way. Because this serves nobody. Don't think it's some sort of penalty against you if you got suspended and you get reinstated because this does not help the user who wants to see reviews for your business. Now, if they're terrible reviews, maybe you lucked out. Anyway, moving on to story number two, per our SERP features tracker. And as reported on, SC Roundtable and Search Engine Land image boxes have surged and now show up on more page one SERPs. Uh, by the way, the same for video carousels on desktops. Now, no. There was an interesting pattern with the image box. Over the last few months, I've noticed that it, it spikes up, it dips back down, it spikes back up, it dips back down. So this spike up that we've tracked over the last week or so um, is part of a larger pattern where the images go, image boxes do retreat down the SERP. So I would suspect that that's coming. But in this case, by the way, the reason why it's newsworthy is that the image box did spike to new heights um, that were a bit of an aberration from the normal pattern. So they are, they have spiked to a greater length than normal, but again, it'd be interesting to see if that pattern still per, is pervasive where they go back down in over time. Anyway, on to story number three. Google seems to be adding a new category to business listings called POI, point of interest. It's giving you a point of interest establishment. Now, what's interesting here is that some of the establishments are not really interesting. No offense. There's not points of interest. There's regular businesses. So it's a bit peculiar. Um, we'll see as time goes on what happens with that. Also, lastly, it appears that due to a Google bug, uh, unrelated canonical URLs are being selected. And as such, irrelevant breadcrumbs are being displayed on the SERP. In, in other words, like since, since the page is unrelated, so the breadcrumbs are unrelated, it, it makes sense. That was the news. Thank you for bearing with me while I did that. That is totally not my thing. Kim, please come back soon. Anyway, it is time to end. It is, our time together is drawing near. I'm so glad we're back together. But as as life goes on, we must part ways. And it is time for the fun SEO send-off question. And it's always awkward to do a fun SEO send-off question 
when you're the only one doing it and Kim's not here. And I wish I had Kim here. Anyway, so today I'm going to ask you my fun SEO send-off question is, what does Google order when shopping online? I was really hoping Kim would be here for this one because she's a big online shopper and I wanted to hear what she said. And I'm not going to make anything up for her or put words in her mouth as tempting as that would be. And she would be very angry with me, which would, as a practical joker, would make me happy. But anyway, I'm not going to do that. I'll just tell you what I think. I think Google orders books online. Books, you might ask? Yes, books. Because how else is Google smart enough to know the answer to everything? It needs to read books. How else would Google get all that information? I mean, that's how it works, right? Google reads books, and that's how it knows everything. Of course, we all know that's not true. Wait, I shouldn't say that because some people in the SEO industry really believe in some really stupid things. Um, So in case you're listening and you don't know how Google actually gets its information, it doesn't read books. I mean, it it does read content, like online books. It doesn't read a physical book. It doesn't order a book from Amazon. Definitely not from Amazon. And and read it. You get what I'm saying? And that will do it for the In Search SEO podcast for this week. Thank you so much for joining me again. Sorry we were away last week, but we will be back again next week with an all-new episode and maybe a new baby. Um, Anyway, it's In Search because we're all in search of something. Thank you.